here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. I am Benjamin Day. And I'm Stephanie Nakajima. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Except for the coronavirus freedom fighters. <laughs> they are really uh, a standout to American values. <laughs> Thank God um, for them. Oh, man. So, uh, and this is actually related to the topic we're going to talk about today. Um, because, um, you know, one of the one of the sh most shocking things in the U.S. is that uh, somewhere between probably 50 and 60 percent of coronavirus related deaths are happening in long term care facilities. Um, so these are, you know, nursing homes, assisted living facilities. These are really where the hot spots and outbreaks are taking place. Um, and uh, part of this is related to the really terrible, horrible, no good, very bad long term care system we have in the United States. Um, well, one of the two of us, uh, Stephanie, you have actually managed to escape um, our, our, our system, and you're getting like an incredible window on the Danish long-term care system. Do you want to like talk a little bit about it? Sure. So last time I uh, mentioned in the podcast that I was in Denmark, um, and the reason I'm here is not the best, uh, under the best of conditions. Uh, my husband, who is a Dane, uh, his father, who lives here in Copenhagen, is really quite ill, um, and he's been in the hospital for many days, and you know, with coronavirus happening and everything, it was it's the exact wrong timing for him right. to be ill. Um, and so we sort of rushed over here, um, right sort of at the beginning of the coronavirus uh, uh, pandemic. Um, and we've been here sort of helping him transition from the hospital into rehab and then finally, uh, hopefully into an assisted living facility, assisted living facility. So um, I've been sort of given like a firsthand experience with the Danish long-term healthcare system. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been so uh, impressed really just with how well everything is coordinated, uh, how, uh, how many resources there are for people, and also just the quality of the facilities, the quality of the flat he's going to be in, and the, the cost. It's only going to be, it's 7,000 kona per month, which is like just over $1,000 for um, this beautiful 70 meters flat um, with green space on the front and the back. And then also in, in addition to that, he'll be getting home help, uh, however many hours it is de determined he is needed as well for free. You're telling um, me he's not bankrupting the family <laughs> to qualify for long-term care? <laughs> Uh, it's, it, it, there was a time where we were, I was, we were looking at each other, Mikhail and I with just like tears in our eyes. Like, yeah. I can't believe this is all, you know, working out for us and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so we have, um, a special guest, 
um, here today. This is the first, Our first time we've <laughs> ever. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> um, who is an expert on Denmark's long-term healthcare system to give us sort of, uh, you know, I have this personal experience and I want to hear more about it from sort of the structural standpoint. So um, I'm going to welcome our guest now, John Quist. Uh, he's professor at the Institute of Society and Globalization at Roskill University here in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, and Professor Quist has published on the long-term healthcare system in Denmark, as well as uh, other areas of Danish social policy. So uh, welcome, Professor Quist. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Nice to meet you. So we have a lot of questions, and we'll talk a little bit also about the U.S. experience. But could you just kind of, uh, for folks who are not familiar with what long-term care is and what it covers, um, could you just give like a very basic definition? Yeah, so uh, so long-term care is about taking care of people who cannot take care of themselves. So it would be frail people. And what we're talking about today are people who are elderly who are frail. So people who are unable to take care of themselves, they will get various types of uh, support uh, also in the Danish case. So some of it will be uh, homes, like uh, Stephanie mentioned that her uh, father-in-law was moving into a home that is for made for elderly. And mm -hmm. I think it was together with some staff associated with the home. And, and yes. he will have to pay uh, rent. So he will pay uh, about $1,000 per month for this mm -hmm. uh, flat. But we all pay money for our housing, so it's not like it's not like long-term care is financed. It's actually not means-tested, but needs-tested. Mm -hmm. So you you get long-term care if you are in need of it, independently of your financial situation. Then mm -hmm. some of it you have to pay for, like the rent for the flat, and for some practical help with laundering and shopping and and food services. Mm -hmm. So beside the home home care. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, homes, you know, like institutional care and mm -hmm. practical care. It can also be uh, rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. So let's imagine that you are an elderly person and you have fallen. Then you will get uh, rehabilitation, helping you to get back on your feet and mm -hmm. to undertake uh, daily activities uh, again, like vacuum cleaning and what have you. So mm -hmm. rehabilitation, uh, physical training, assisting daily uh, living activities, uh, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and the final thing is that you will also get uh, a visit. Uh, if you're 75, you will get it uh, once a year uh, by a person who will come and ask you how you're doing and if you need any help uh, uh, to, to get a better life. Wow, that is such a contrast with, with what we have in the U.S. So, And it, I don't know if it's the same in Denmark, but in the U.S. also uh, people with disabilities, regardless of their age, um, yeah. are in need of the long-term care support. Exactly. Um, and so here in the U.S., um, a lot of people think that Medicare, which is our sort of universal system for seniors, 65 and over, would cover long-term care, but it actually does not. Um, Medicaid, which is our program for low-income people, covers long-term care. So if you uh, are in desperate need of long-term care, if you're just really not able to carry out daily activities like bathing and uh, yeah. shopping and going about the house, um, you cannot get support. You don't qualify for nursing home or help in your own home unless you become poor enough to qualify for Medicaid. So what often happens, and these are some of the most horrifying stories we see in the US, is that uh, someone becomes disabled or they just get older and have chronic uh, disabilities and they need they spend down all of their money on long-term wow. care until they become poor 
and then they qualify for Medicaid and they get public coverage. Yeah. But I'm assuming this is not how it works in, in Denmark. No, 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 that's not the case. It, we have a so-called universal system, yeah. which means basically everybody who are in need. So uh, if it's long-term care for the elderly, you have to be above 65 years of age. And then you will go through a, a needs test where they will see, you know, how, how are you doing? Uh, can you hmm. touch your toes? Uh, can you make your own food? These sort of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the crucial parameter and, and the aim is 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 one 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 aim is to increase the quality of life and the second uh, main goal is to increase your ability to take care of yourself mm-hmm. uh, because we know that uh, elderly as other people they like to be uh, independent and autonomous mm-hmm. and not have other people uh, to rely on in order to do whatever it is that they want to do a particular day Mm-hmm. That's such an interesting contrast to Medicare. I mean, because uh, Medicare actually has a set number of days which you can take, like uh, you know, rehabilitation services. So um, typically, it's um, up to 100 days. But because Medicare will only pay the first or pay the full cost for the first three weeks, often it ends up only being 20 days of any kind of skilled rehab that you can get. So um, there's all these little, you know, (laughs) things about the the American system that actually just, you know, don't really help. I mean, if you're a person and you need, like you're saying, you need rehabilitation, and that also contributes to the cost for the system, because if you're able to take care of yourself and the system pays less, you know, there should be sort of an incentive within the system to provide you the rehabilitation you need. But instead, it's for, it's provided on like um, a basis of how many days are you have in your insurance, really, to uh-huh. get that coverage. Yeah. No, here we here we have a local system. So, uh, as you know, Stephanie, Denmark is a small country of only 5.6 million people. Mm-hmm. But but within that, we have 98 municipalities, and it is the municipalities who are responsible for providing the, the long-term care. So they will actually sit down every year and make a catalog of what we are calling quality standards. You know, what can you expect from your municipality if you are in need of long-term care? Uh, so it will differ slightly or a lot between the municipalities what sort of uh, exactly uh, what sort of care you can get. So you have a right to uh, long-term care, but the extent and the quality and so on will to a large uh, uh, amount be dependent upon your municipality. Hmm. And how hmm. is this, I'm curious, how is this paid for? I mean, one interesting thing is that, you know, Stephanie and I live in Massachusetts, which is a state that's almost the same size as Denmark. So we do have a similar, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's actually one of the wealthier states you know, within the United States. So we, yeah. we could do a lot of these things even on our own if we wanted to. How how is long term care paid system paid for? Is it very expensive? I mean, um, just out of curiosity. Uh, so by international standards, it's very expensive. So it's about three percentage of GDP going into long term mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. That's a lot by European standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you know, otherwise, you know, if you don't have a formal care system, then you will often have an informal or a private yeah. care system. So you'll have to take that into account as well. So I guess that the burden or the share of the economy that goes into long-term care is more or less the same in countries with the same demographics and what have you. Mm-hmm. But in the Danish case, we have made it a, a public in the sense that we pay taxes. So it is through general taxations that you finance the long-term care. Mm-hmm. So the money that goes into the exchequer's uh, account will be distributed to these 98 municipalities. Mm-hmm. 
And within Denmark, we also have rich municipalities and poor municipalities. Right. So there's a redistribution going on, like a Robin Hood mm -hmm. system, mm -hmm. where the mm -hmm. richer municipalities will pay more money to the poorer municipalities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but that's part of the solidarity too. So it shouldn't be dependent on where the elderly lives, but, but more on the political decisions about what type of quality you would like. Yeah, um, I think what you're saying about the formal versus informal sector mm -hmm. thing, I, I love that aspect mm -hmm. of Denmark. I mean, I think not only uh, is there a lot of redistribution from wealthy to less wealthy, but there's also a redistribution to women who are often the ones who will uh, bear a lot of uh, of the work. And of course, I, th I think maybe the Danish system doesn't pay all of the work that women will do to provide long-term care, but it does pay, you know, it does recognize the work that women do and provide a lot of the payment for it. So, Sure. Uh, but we, we also have a, a society where a large share of women are working. So they're working almost as much as uh, men are working. And it, so we expect a family to be working, both the uh, husband and the wife or whatever uh, partners uh, are, um, and also independent of their family situation. So if you have an elderly in your uh, uh, family who's in need of care, then you can actually experience a squeeze because you have big res responsibilities both in the formal labor market and in the informal care sector. So, so even though we have an expansive long-term care system that is universal, we still experience a strain when we are in these phases of uh, our lives. So, so, so mm -hmm. we could become better there. Mm, so there's room for improvement. Absolutely. Yeah, and one of the interesting things I think coronavirus has revealed, especially in the U.S. with stay-at-home orders, is that um, we basically don't value work that is unpaid sometimes, um, <laughs> such as sometimes staying at home and not working is actually of societal value itself. Um, uh, but this is, I think, really important that um, I think one comment you said earlier, which is that uh, even though it looks like Denmark is spending more, um, actually, it's just a paid expense. Whereas yeah. if you don't pay for it publicly, you're either paying for it privately through cash or you're forcing people to into this massive informal economy of unpaid work exactly. where um, people have to take care of their relatives. And that's only for people who are lucky enough, I think, to have yeah. uh, you know an extended family with the time and resources to support them. And not everyone is in that position. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that you will receive the care you need independent of your income and independent of your family situation. Mm -hmm. And as you're uh, saying, you know, often uh, problems tend to cluster in specific places. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. Um, just to give an example from the U.S. and to compare and contrast, um, an annual report from Fidelity Investments, and this is actually in 2012, so this is a while ago, but uh, anticipated that for, a, for in, the, in the United States, for a 65-year-old couple retiring in 2012, the cost of health care in retirement will be $240,000. So, and that's what you can, and you should be saving for your retirement, right? Because that's going to include, um, of course, your premiums for Medicare, because Medicare isn't free, and your co-payments and deductibles and everything uh, for Medicare, even if you have Medicare. And then on top of that, the very expensive long-term care that you know, many, a majority of people will expect to have at least a year or some amount of long-term care. So I'm sort of wondering, just to contrast that, um, what is the out-of-pocket um, 
costs that a Dane can expect to should be saving for uh, for retirement for healthcare and and you know can expect to pay in their older life. It is uh, close to zero. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. so yeah so so we have the principle of you know uh, improving the quality of life for elderly and that people should be uh, in you know to be able to take care of themselves that's the elderly care and for the healthcare sector sector the first principle is that everybody has equal access to healthcare mm. so it is free uh, of charge in general there are a few exceptions here and there so cosmetic uh, surgery for example that you have to pay for yourself uh, a certain part of medicine you have to pay for yourself so uh, uh, but but you will not have to pay more than about $750 per year for medicine in total. So if your cost exceeds that, then you will get reimbursed uh, by the by the state. Uh, so basically, your out-of-pocket payments is not in the social area so much. It's, it's for medicine in your old age. Uh, that's that's about it. So you have to save for that. And then, of course, uh, the rent, as you said, your, your, your father-in-law should pay about $1,000 in rent. But you also have to do that if you are not a senior citizen. You know, everybody has to pay rent for their accommodation. Mm -hmm. And that can be financed out of the old age pension. So we have social security, mm -hmm. like you do. Uh, and that would be uh, nearly twice the amount of that uh, rent your father-in-law is going to uh, pay for. That's extraordinary. The first thought that came to mind, Stephanie, when you said we're supposed to be saving $240,000 is that I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm only $240,000 short of my savings goal. <laughs> I mean, this is actually a pro, you know, people like you and I who work in small nonprofits all our lives, it's, it's actually very hard to save anything meaningful. Um, I've been, yeah. I mean, I'm in my forties now. I've been trying in recent years to, to save, but it's just very hard to, for it to amount to anything uh, resembling what I think we know we're going to need once we enter our 60s and 70s, just because even though we do have a universal healthcare system for seniors, um, it has big gaps in it. Um, and the biggest gap is long-term care, I think, which uh, something like 70% of us are going to need at some point in our lives. Um, so <laughs> I, I may be moving to Denmark in the future. Are, is there a refugee status for, <laughs> <You'll be welcome. laughs> for Americans? Yeah, you'll be uh, more than welcome. <laughs> uh, I guess another question I had, um, you know, a, a big issue in the United States is something that's called the institutional bias. Yeah. Um, and this is where uh, Medicaid, I think, pay, pays for something like two thirds of all long-term care in the U.S. Um, and again, you have to be poor to qualify for it. Um, but uh, the national Medicaid program only requires states to cover institutional care. That's like nursing home care where you're actually in a facility. It does not require states to cover um, long-term care in your home. So having like a personal care attendant or someone who maybe helps out two or three days a week, just depending on your needs. But, you know, uh, encouraging and allowing people to stay in their own homes and not being moved into a nursing home facility um, and again, this has become a major issue with coronavirus because we have so many people institutionalized that it's now a huge public health risk. Um, what does that look like in Denmark? Is there any bias sort of pushing people into nursing homes or is there equal levels of support for supporting people to stay in their own homes? So both types of uh, long-term care is provided, both the institutional care and the care in the home. Mm -hmm. And in 1987, so quite a long time, a long time ago, there was a decision made that we should uh, deinstitutionalize our elderly care. 
So mm. we should move away from institutional care towards being as long as possible in your own home. That was the slogan. Mm -hmm. uh, as long as possible in your own home. And ever since that, we have seen the numbers and the share of elderly institutional mm -hmm. care go down. That means that it's only when you are extremely frail that you will actually be put into uh, institutional care for the elderly, uh, as we heard uh, with uh, Stephanie's uh, mm -hmm. father-in-law. So uh, you you have to fulfill, you have to really be weak or frail in order mm -hmm. to qualify for that uh, type of housing, but then you will get it pretty uh, soon after you apply, depending on your municipality. Mm -hmm. Instead, the emphasis has been on home care. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, to compensate compensate for that, you know, we have expanded our home care uh, dramatically since 1987. And we have, uh, in the last few years, then we have reconfigured it. So it is not so much uh, doing practical help uh, and so on for people, but doing more and more rehabilitation with people in their own homes. Mm -hmm. So instead of vacuum cleaning for the elderly, then it has been about training the elderly person to vacuum clean for him or herself mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to give them a better uh, power over their own life. Uh, I mm -hmm. guess you can say that. So, so that's the official explanation. Of course, that also means that you can then save some of these hours of home care. So it's mm -hmm. also being a cost-cutting exercise, mm -hmm. uh, enabling people to take better uh, care of themselves. Mm -hmm. But that has been the big move, has been away from institutions towards home care, mm -hmm. and more recently, away from uh, compensating uh, people for their uh, needs to actually enable them to, to take mm -hmm. care of themselves. And has that had an impact on how coronavirus has impacted seniors in Denmark, uh, having fewer people in institutionalized settings, or yeah. So I guess that we are we 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 are less vulnerable than mm -hmm. if we would have a bigger share of our population in elderly care. Mm -hmm. That said, the people who are in elderly care are indeed very uh, frail and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So if a coronavirus virus comes into an environment like an uh, an institutional care home in Denmark then that leaves the elderly with a very poor chance of actually surviving it. Mm. That, that is also true. So, so a lot of uh, the coronavirus uh, measures has been about shielding uh, long-term care from mm -hmm. uh, being exposed to coronavirus. So pre preventing, for example, family relatives to uh, visit their uh, uh, elderly in uh, long-term care homes. And that, that is, of course, very traumatic, especially if you have Alzheimer's or other diseases mm -hmm. and you can only remember long-term and your family members, and then that's caught off, mm -hmm. then, then that leaves the quality of life uh, for the elderly on a very low level. So, so that's what's going on now is to say, okay, uh, we have to open up uh, long-term care, uh, institutional care for visits by family members. Mm -hmm. Hopefully yeah. safely. And hopefully safely, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as you perhaps know, then uh, we are together with Sweden and Norway and Finland having this uh, type of uh, welfare model. And in Sweden, it has gone really terribly wrong. Uh, you know, there's mm -hmm. been a lot of uh, fatalities in uh, long-term care uh, homes in, in Sweden. Mm -hmm. they, they were unable to prevent uh, the disease from entering uh, their facilities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think, Stephanie, you were uh, one of the stark contrast when you moved from when you moved from Boston to Denmark um, was just the impact of coronavirus in general is is much less uh, at this moment in Denmark than it is in the US. So it's a totally different setting. 
It's crazy. I just looked at the numbers today, actually, just to get an overview, because I had had in the back of my mind, I'm still reading the Boston Globe every day uh-huh. and seeing how it is. And, you know, Boston and uh, or Massachusetts, rather, and Denmark, they have very comparable populations. You know, Denmark mm-hmm. is how many? Six, five, six, six. million? Five yeah. point. Yeah. Five point eight or something million. Mm-hmm. And then Den, uh, Massachusetts is one million more than that. Only one million more. And um, the number of deaths and the number of cases is exponentially larger. Um, uh, we're talking about total of 560 or so deaths in Denmark so far and thousands in, um, in Massachusetts. Um, so it's it's been really... Uh, Amazing. And also just amazing to see, you know, walking through the streets of Copenhagen now, restaurants are open. No one's wearing, nobody has been wearing a mask ever since I got here. Um, there were only 42 new confirmed cases of, of um, coronavirus uh, yesterday, and that number has been steadily going down. Um, it's been really remarkable and a little confounding how they've been able to, hmm. to con- contain the virus in Denmark. Yeah, we, we have shut- almost six, almost six thousand deaths in Massachusetts alone. Yeah, that's oh, I'm sorry wild. to hear that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had another. This is kind of a random question. Um, you know, here in here in the United States, uh, we have two bills that would pass Medicare for all, uh, create a universal health care system in the United States, and it used to be that neither of them included any long term care coverage. Um, so we've, uh, as a movement, we've been fighting to inc- include long-term care with uh, Medicare for all, with kind of a universal health care system. So we're trying to push both at the same time. Um, but, you know, many countries historically, those develop at different times. You know, there's uh, the health care passage, there's, then long-term care is either later or earlier. How did this happen historically in Denmark, um, both the universal health care side and the long-term care side? Did they happen together or were they separate? Uh, they more or less happened uh, together. So mm. after the uh, after the Second World War, uh, mm. you know, we, we, we had some time, to, you know, recovering, <laughs> and then we went into the golden sixties, you know, the golden days of the Danish economy, where we saw a lot of uh, women entering the labor market. Uh, a lot of these women were uh, not skilled, so they didn't have uh, much education. And they went into the public sector and started taking care of the elderly and of mm. the children. So they were basically staffing these uh, institutions. Uh, and what we are uh, seeing today is that they are retiring. Mm. Uh, so the aging population is, of course, a, a big challenge uh, mm-hmm. in Denmark as, as in the rest of uh, Europe. Uh, and part of it is because the, the professionals uh, in welfare policies are leaving the scene. They're retiring, and and others have to take uh, to take over. Um, so the uni- universal universalism was otherwise both an expansion uh, of the social policies, uh, and part of that being uh, taken care of by these new workers in the labor market. Mm-hmm. Then, since they arrived, there has been an expansion of the professionalization. So, you know, now you have to have an education as a mm-hmm. social and health assistant in order to be working, for example, in a long-term care institutions oh. for the elderly. Oh, interesting. Um, and, 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 and these educations are uh, often of uh, about two years uh, of length, mm-hmm. which by Danish standards is not long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually it is a, a lot of uh, the, 
people now entering uh, long-term care are the ones who, who would not have taken an, a long or medium-term education. Uh, so we're also very happy for that because there's not a lot of demand for work for people with with a, with a short uh, educational mm -hmm. backgrounds behind them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hope we get both at the same time as well in the United States. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. I have another question, just thinking back about, you know, how, how I found you, uh, Professor Quist, was that when we first arrived to Denmark and we realized, you know, that my husband and I, we realized that uh, Vaughn, my father-in-law, he was really not able to take care of himself and he couldn't, he wasn't going to be able to return to the house that he came from. And it had sort of gone on too long. And he, he's, he's the kind of person who doesn't want to accept any help. So it kind of had to get to this point before yeah. he did. And, uh, and so he's not really a great advocate for himself. And I asked Mikhail, uh, my husband, um, you know, what is available to people in Denmark? What does your long-term care system cover? And he he just like had no idea. So I sort of Googled to find something in English about it because, you know, I, I do a little policy anyway. And that was how I found you. But I was just... I was just curious about like, you know, Danish people don't seem to have an, any idea of sometimes I ask Mikhail, how does your healthcare system work or how does this get paid for or what tax or whatever? And I, I'm finding that he doesn't really know how it works at all. And actually, Americans are also very surprised, you know, when they get to the Medicare age and they think that, you know, Medicare is going to cover their long term healthcare costs and it doesn't. And it, mm -hmm. it's really a shock to them. And I was just wondering, like, how do Danish people feel about their long term care system generally? And do they even think about it at all I, I, I think you are absolutely right that people in most countries do not really understand what their situation will be on in, in the long term and and they have you know perhaps they're very optimistic on their own behalf that they will not need so much care mm -hmm. <laughs> they will not need so much money Ben. so you should yeah. start the saving now mm -hmm. uh, um, so i think that's the, that's the case everywhere independent of what sort of system you have uh, now, uh, in the Danish uh, case, uh, you are paying uh, comparatively many money in personal income taxation. So, uh, a part of your salary basically goes into general uh, taxes uh, that the public sector will get. And then that would be divided into all these purposes you were saying. You know, so, the money that you will get when you are sick, when you are old, when you are frail, when you are in the hospital, all these different uh, boxes will be full of uh, finance through uh, general taxation. In some other European countries, you have social insurance systems. So, your rights and entitlements will depend on how much you have paid in uh, to your uh, mm -hmm. old age savings, into your health insurance, to your long-term care insurance. Uh, whereas here in, in the Danish case, that's not the system. It's basically just finance food taxes. So what we expect is that the uh, state will take care of us when we need it. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in exchange, we work when we can work. So we pay back on what we received when we were young and we pay in advance of what we're going to receive when we're elderly in the expectations that the next generation would do the same. So we have this sort of implicit contract between generations, you know. So I, I expect my children and my neighbor's children <laughs> to take care of me when I get old. And that's why I'm happily paying my taxes today to finance uh, today's uh, long-term care. Yeah, that's so funny because I hear that 
I mean, not as explicitly said by my husband, but I can hear that kind of thinking in my husband. You know, he's like, I used a lot of resources when I was young. <laughs> I went to school <laughs> yeah. for eight, like, you know, he was in college until he was like 28 or something. And he's like, yeah. and now I'm living in America and paying yeah. no taxes. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can tell that there's, he feels like he's breaking the contract a little bit. Yeah, so. yeah. But then we hope to Ben to come over, you know, and he's taking his situation in the States. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. I'll pay back whatever yeah. he took out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting distinction, though, especially between the tax-based system where everybody is, you know, guaranteed by need and not necessarily by what you put in and the social insurance system, which is like what kind of job you had and what, you know, you know where you were in society and everything. I think I think that really sets up, you know, the Scandinavian systems apart a little bit yeah. from other European systems. Yeah. So I guess I have one last question and then we should yeah. let you go. Um, yeah. But and this is probably a question I should have asked you at the very beginning. But you know, Stephanie and I both are in in, in this work in this fight to win Medicare for all because of the experiences that we had running up against the healthcare system, not getting the healthcare we need, or having health insurance companies uh, deny us care at the moment when we needed it most. I mean, how did you end up in getting into long-term care research? How did this become a passion of yours? How did you like find your career path into this? So I think that uh, that most of us, if we uh, look over our shoulder and look at our family and our past, mm -hmm. we, we will see that we have been in situations where we have been dependent upon others, mm -hmm. uh, upon others' uh, help, you know, if we were uh, mentally ill or physically ill or whatever. Uh, so, so in my case, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to come from a, a privileged background. My mother was a teacher and my father was a a, a, a psychiatrist, uh, so they had uh, stable incomes and what have you. Uh, but I also uh, happen to be from a family where we have uh, mental illnesses in our family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so both my father, you know, even they, though they had good jobs, then they both became uh, very ill uh, and were dependent uh, of uh, of healthcare. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I could not have taken care of it. I was just a young, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a young person at the time. But then the system took over, and I guess that sort of got me got me curious, you know, that we have this uh, institutionalized uh, taking care of one another uh, yeah. uh, in in the Danish case, uh, and of course it works better in some instances than in others, and the uh, you know the psychiatric sector is not the best, I tell you, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, mm. but uh, but I think that uh, that that's really what got me uh, going was this sort of institutional uh, taking care of one another, the reciprocity that we have. Well, I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you could join us as well. Yeah, of it course. was fantastic having you here. And, yeah, um, thanks so much. Yeah. Now I feel much worse about our long-term care system. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. But I hope it can be a model for us in the yeah. future. So. Yeah, thank you, John, and happy yeah. Ascension Day. Yeah, thanks. Also to you. Bye-bye.